Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. I'm super excited to have this guest on. I've been meaning to uh, try to get him on, and then one thing led to another, and then I, I forgot about it, and then I was like, oh, crap, I got to get him on. I hit him up, and he was like, yeah, let's do it right away. He is the owner and operator of Permaculture BC. Uh, you guys may know him. He's been on a lot of episodes of uh, Permaculture Voices podcast. I'll put a link for those in the show notes. They're all really good episodes. Um, and actually, and I'll get into this in a second, Javin, but he is, uh, Javin Bernakovich and actually Javin, it was interesting. I was listening to this episode with you and, uh, Diego and I, and I believe it predated the, uh, um, oh, what is the guy, the dirty jobs guy, Mike Rowe, when he said, follow your, uh, follow opportunity, not passion. It was pretty much you saying this message before. I think that video even came out. I was like, man, how did I... How did I miss Javin saying this? And then this was like, oh, Mike Rose says it. And I was like, oh, maybe I heard it first with Javin. Then it was like, oh, it really resonates now. So anyways, man, I thought that was funny. So, But uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it, Drew. And I, I love your work. I love what you're doing. And it's just so great to see somebody else uh, making a voice out there, you know? Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I've uh, it's definitely since I... I uh, partnered up and just started getting a part of the permaculture scene, man. Things really started to make more sense to me and take off. And all you guys have just been super supportive, whether it be uh, Diego, Jack, Curtis, or JM, or any of those guys. So it's been a it's been a pleasure to be a part of. So I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, man. So I wanted to start out because a, a lot of people I don't know know, um, you know, kind of the history. Like I know. Um, when I, I, I think a lot of people maybe who are in permaculture know you this a similar way I know, which is that you know you really kind of have the the mental part of this down, and I, I think you know even just focusing on the mastermind and um, doing not just not just getting shit done, but kind of getting the right things done, and just always like how to how to best kind of. Uh, be the most effective. And I think it's, it's, it's something that I always love hearing you talk about, but you know, I, I, I'd love to hear how you got started and what, what kind of led you to where you are today and just the history. I'm a big, big why guy. And I think just for anybody who, who's getting started or maybe is going to take a step forward into pursuing something that they think that they can do, but maybe kind of have doubts. I think, you know, we all kind of start in that state. And so, um, and just hearing you kind of hint at it on uh, permaculture voices, would you mind diving into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think the question is how how far back do you want to go? Oh man, uh, man, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe adulthood. Let's go with with the. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll give you a I'll give you the synopsis that I I usually give folks when um, when when I'm teaching, and you can. You can dive or pick apart what you will. Sounds good. Um, so I was born and raised in Calgary, Alberta, and was born in a very conventional family, uh, raised on television, raised on fast food. I still know most of the jingles from the malls of Calgary, which uh, I don't even think they're actually they're actually playing those those commercials anymore. But uh, I was put into Boy Scouts at a really young age, so I got a sense of independence because the troop I was in really wanted kids to do their own work and to cook their own food. And we had lots of gourmet challenges and lots of challenges about self-sufficiency. We had just brilliant leaders. I can't, 
can't speak enough about the mentorship that I received there. And that led into, at the same time, I was working with my dad in construction and he had, um, had, yeah, had a construction company. And so I worked with him for between 13 and 23. And, uh, so about 10 years. And after high school, I got, I found myself into the two plus two broadcasting program at the university of Calgary. So I was thinking of doing this actually full time and being a radio DJ for a number of years. Um, but I saw the radio DJ life and I wasn't really keen on that. So I, I went to a pure theory strain of communications and I went into the communications degree and halfway through my degree, I realized that they were trying to create, uh, you know, they're trying to create PR folks that were going to tell you that, uh, oil spill off the coast of Alaska was a great thing for the, uh, economy. And that didn't do it for me at all. So I left my degree pretty upset and uh, frustrated, found myself working with Alberta Parks. So I worked with them for a number of years and then moved up to Edmonton and started working with an environmental education company. And there I took kids down the North Saskatchewan River watershed and we talked about uh, water quality. And then we did a tour of the wastewater treatment plant, which I always joked, we're going to go on the log ride. And so we the wastewater treatment plant and the joke was that the log ride was the log that they had left at home was now here um and then afterwards we do wastewater quality testing on the other side and i've always kind of felt that something wasn't exactly right with the society that i was born into it just seemed a little bit bizarre it seemed a little bit more contrived and controlled and that overflowed into environmentalism and so i was in this job where i was feeling like I was doing a really, really proactive work. And I had, I'd previously worked in volunteer firefighting and I felt it was pretty reactive. So I was really looking for this idea of proactive. How do we get to the core of things? How do we get to the grand unified theory or the theory of everything? So I, uh, I got into my boat one day and this kid comes up and he goes, okay, so we're getting in the boat. I said, yeah. And we're going to go downstream. I said, yeah. And we're going to end up back here. Right. I kind of looked at him and he had drawn a circle with his hand indicating that he, we were going to come back here. And I just thought to myself, okay, I've got to ask this kid a question. When was the last time you were on a boat? And he goes, well, I was at a boat at Callaway Park down in Calgary. And so his understanding of water was that water did not flow downhill. Water flowed in a circle. And I realized in that moment that all of this proactive work I was trying to do with these kids was, wasn't going to work. I didn't have enough time to correct this uh, cognitive dissonance that these kids had around this issue of water flows downhill. And it's a pretty, pretty primary thing to understand. So I pretty much went home that night and I was like, I got to find something else. Uh, so I looked online for uh, alternative building. I figured I'd go back into construction and I found natural building. And so I, and how old were you uh, at the time when you were looking to do natural building? Yeah, for sure. So this was just before 2009. So we're going back, going back seven years. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So I, I looked, I found this natural building program at one United resource eco village on Vancouver Island. I applied and had a bunch of, of offers for work coincidentally at the same time in Alberta that were very high paying. So I had this very fascinating Occam's razor of, okay, here's a very comfortable place to be. Here's lots of income, very secure. And 
here's paying to go back to an uncertified, unregistered school, which when you're coming from a very conventional background, like Alberta, that's, that's a big question. And you get a lot of family members and a lot of friends being like, what are you doing? <laughs> this doesn't <laughs> seem like a good idea at all. But if you know anything about Alberta, Alberta's kind of like Montana and Texas had a one night stand. Alberta was the result the next day. <laughs> it's the, the bigger, better buck and the lone rugged woodsman. But it's always like Albertans generally are, are quite skeptical. It's, it's a bit of a stereotype and I kind of have to go hard or go home and get her done is this big saying. And, and I don't know where the truck testicles came from, but <laughs> I know Alberta has their fair share. That's for sure. So I, I had a little bit of that in me in terms of skepticism. So here I was kind of at the edge and I didn't really know what to do. And I had my interview with the, the eco village and it went really well. And so I was even more confused. And then they sent me the reading list for the program and it was every book I didn't know I wanted to read. And up until then, every single aspect of school was really frustrating. It's like, I have to read this book. This book doesn't even make sense. This, you, you haven't updated this book in three years. And then you get to university and they updated it every year so that they can charge you exorbitant fees for things that you can just listen to during class. I just felt that so many things were pretty based upon extraction of wealth. And I read these, these titles. I hadn't even read the books. And I thought, oh, I got to go, right? I have to go. I, I actually want to read a reading list. So I packed up the car and uh, I still remember the date, June 5th, 2009, uh, packed up, uh, said goodbye to friends and fam and moved out to Vancouver Island and got into the program and was immediately thinking, what have I gotten myself into? If anybody's ever been to an intentional community, <laughs> you kind of wonder, I've, I've kind of come into the, the twilight zone, especially coming from conventional. So it was a bit of a, a fascinating entry into a different cultural experience. And so I learned about natural building. I learned about clay, sand, stone, straw, cob, uh, timber framing, dry stack stone work, learned about plastering, really got into plastering, really enjoyed it. And I got an offer to take the permaculture design course at the end of the, the summer. And up until that point, there was two experiences I'd had with permaculture. One, a friend of mine had showed me the, or passed on the, the quintessential Jeff Lawton greening the desert video. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. And then a friend of ours, friend of uh, my partner at the time, came to stay for the weekend. And, you know, two months later, we had to ask her to leave. And she was super into permaculture. So I thought permaculture was analogous with mooching. <laughs> in some so cases, was like, hey, you want to take a course in permaculture? I was like, no, I don't need to take a course in, in, in mooching. That doesn't seem like a, a very necessary skill. Um, but they said, Hey, uh, it's half price. If you've already taken a program with the village and the little Albertan in me, the, you know, the half Texan, if you will, goes, Oh, a deal. I can't pass that up. <laughs> so I go and, uh, first day is all right. But the second day we get into the homegrown's 12 principles and I'm quaking. And it's one of the reasons why the Quakers are called the Quakers. Cause you only speak when you quake, you only speak when you must. And I'm quaking here and I raise my hand and he goes, yes. I said, this is the closest thing to a life ethic I could imagine. Like this is, this is incredible. I'd gone through a number of religions, not in terms of being a part of, but kind of evaluating, trying to see what was a good fit, like who could help guide my, my life force. And scouts up to that point had really done a good job, but I'd, I'd grown a bit um, frustrated with them as well. And I just thought, okay, well, you know, what's going to guide me? And here's just a bunch of guidelines. Take responsibility for yourself and for that of your family, your children, take care of the planet because that's where we live, take care of each other because that's how we access materials and, you know, don't consume so much because then you'll have wealth. And 
in another lifetime, I had a couple of, of different forays into careers. I was going to become a financial advisor. And that really, that, that statement, that third, third ethic uh, stated in the original way, harkened back to an amazing uh, financial advisor who was mentoring me. And they said, there's only two ways to get rich, mate. You can either go out and try and produce more and more and more and more, which usually means that your, your burn rate or your expenses creeps up beside you, or you can just consume less and then you'll have more immediately. That's wealth, right? Um, so when I heard that, when I heard the instructor giving me these 12 principles and I heard that sort of in my memory, I thought, okay, this starts to feel like a lot of connections and, and that set me on my path. Um, yeah, after after that, it was it was full steam ahead. That's pretty awesome. So what so what steps did you take after the intentional community and getting your your PDC? Like, how did you? What did you? How did you like start taking these ideas and putting them into action and to ultimately having permaculture BC and opening up businesses and stuff like that? Yeah, sure. So the timeline there is I uh, finished up that that. PDC, I think in the end of August and, uh, or mid August. And almost immediately there was a, a, a position opening at the village. Um, and there was a job creation partnership, which is something that the very innovative Brandy Gallagher who runs the village had applied for. And it was basically, you were able to get the government of BC to fund projects that would help to reskill individuals. And they created a program that would hire uh, four permaculture designers and six laborers and a couple of craftspeople. And so I got a practicum almost immediately after I took my course and we had, I think it was a seven or a nine month JCP. And I worked with dry stack stonemasons again. I worked with some incredible pond builders. Uh, I, I really got a practicum and uh, I got to make uh, a number of, of lessons to be learned and a lot of results. And so the next year they offered if I would come back and be a teaching assistant for the natural building program because I already had building experience. And so I said, sure, that'd be great. So I did that. And then they asked if I would teach a couple of sessions at the the permaculture design course. And I thought, okay, well, I'll teach what I know. I can't teach much more. It was only a year you know, ago. So I taught what I knew and um, that went really well. And then after that, I kind of saw what was in front of me. And I saw that there was this great opportunity to host really exceptional permaculture design courses and bring in exceptional people because I had, I had come to realize that a single instructor PDC didn't make a lot of sense. And I think Raph, um, Raph, Raph Sass Ferguson just uh, posted on, I think that's his last name, Ferguson, maybe um, just posted on, uh, on Facebook the other day that, you know, nobody is qualified to teach more than an introductory uh, to permaculture. And I think he's right on. Uh, I've always taken an approach of a multi instructor discipline. And when you take a look at the, the internet, uh, searches or pardon me, the trending at that point, uh, 50% of the, the permaculture, uh, websites were in BC and 75% of the searches originated in BC across Canada. So we had the lion's share of people looking and the lion's share of people doing this type of work. And, I already had been introduced to all the incredible people who had been teaching my course, either the PDC or the natural building course, or being involved with this JCP. And I learned about others because I befriended a number of them and we ended up putting together a multi instructor PDC. And so I created permaculture BC as being this hub for permaculture in British Columbia. And it was kind of like creating my own university because I was so despondent with the university as it was in my experience. 
So I just continually invited mentors to come in and teach. And I had an access and a chance to really talk to them and learn from them and, and, and build my own competencies. And in that I was able to also offer them remuneration. I was able to pay them a professional wage for professional work. And that helped some folks who were charging very little, I would actually tell them to charge me more. And I would work to create these um, educational opportunities that people could come to. And it would be uh, an exceptional educational opportunity for not only myself, but them, but also for the instructor. And that went on for a couple of years. That's awesome. That's really cool. So now did you, were you already pretty business savvy kind of going into permaculture or did it, was it just something that you kind of picked up on? Like, okay, I see this opportunity and I possess these skills. So let's, you know, I think I could really execute with this. I think what it was is, well, to answer your question, no, okay. no, I, I wasn't business savvy and I, I, I didn't have any formal education or non-formal education. The idea of business was a grotesque thing. I was, I was that sort of environmentalist. I was like, business is bad. Money is bad. All of this is, you know, we, we need to completely collapse the system. Uh, this is a bad way to do it. And it was in speaking with so many of the people that I was involved with in permaculture out there that I realized that. There was a number of people who had had exited uh, the main story of society and were still doing incredible work, and they were doing it by valuing their work and charging what they were worth. And I thought, oh my, like I, I miss this. The, I, I miss this conversation because of what I was being presented with media and television, and uh, I, I wasn't raised on the internet. I adopted it as an adult, but you know that was fascinating to me. That was something I, I totally missed, but. As a kid, I had an incredible entrepreneurial spirit. I was the kid who would like draw pictures, put them into my wheelbarrow, and then uh, my little red wagon, not wheelbarrow, my little red wagon, and go down the street at like age six and seven and try and sell these, you know, terrible photos. That's or, awesome. Images, paint, drawings, paintings, whatever. Uh, and truthfully, I, I, um, my first entrepreneurial uh, export, my first, or not expert, enterprise, um, drew blood because I had a, uh, Doberman cross German shepherd, uh, come up and, and latch into the right side of my face and do quite a bit of facial damage when I was quite young. So I, I wonder if that had something to do with my long-term hiatus from business. <laughs> Did you have a fear of dogs too, or just business? Oh, I had a huge fear of dogs for years. My mom, bless her soul. She did, uh, she did so much to help me out. They, she got these, um, uh, therapy dogs that would come and be very nice to me and dogs who loved balloons. I think her name was, was, was Dina or Dinah. And, uh, I remember it, man. I remember I was so traumatized from that event. I can so, imagine. Uh, I, I imagine there was something about like, here's something of mine. Do, can I have some money? Probably like had this whole issue in my head for years. That's for sure. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's, that's interesting that you tied that together. So when did you start to, um, when you're, you know, when you're removing yourself from uh, conventional society, you're in this, you're in this uh, intentional community. Then you start branching out. You, you end up forming your own business. So along the way, when did you really start to kind of work on, um, I guess, you know, divorcing yourself from the the ideas that have been that had been instilled in you, whether through TV or just uh, society, college. Like, when did you start to figure out that there was things going on in your head that were, 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 were kind of set up to sabotage you in a sense or, or in a way to 
to to to prevent you from from doing the things that you that you you actually can do if that makes sense yeah for sure i i would say that first experience probably happened in elementary school where you're 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 this incredible individual you're this incredible young child and all you want to do is experience the world and express right that's that's really what we do as as very young uh, humans is we try to express these things that are in, internal. And I remember being in elementary school and trying to express something and folks saying, well, no, that's not the right time or that's not right at all. And I, I remember thinking at a young age, this seems bizarre. You know, if, if, if you're in this body and you're here to express and you're here to, you know, share what you have to share, this seems really bizarre that somebody's telling you what to do. Um, and when I realized that those were based upon, a number of thought patterns and modalities more often than not based upon dogma or religion, I became very skeptical of, of, of pretty much everything given to me and that there was some sort of agenda behind whatever somebody was some, whatever somebody was, was trying to give you. Um, you add to that, that at a very young age, uh, when I was in elementary school, I remember looking across the classroom and, uh, finally seeing somebody I was attracted to and it was a boy in my class and thinking, cause I was in scouts and there's definitely a sort of a masculine bent to scouts. I remember thinking, Oh, nobody's going to like this. And that was sort of a big moment for me because I, I suppressed all of this uh, attraction and affection and just said, all right, well, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm going to, I'm going to just play this hyper-masculine heterosexual game for a number of years. And that killed me in so many ways that that started a 20 year chronic suicidal depression that I still deal with today, but I, I made the switch from being a victim of it to being somebody who was working on it four years ago. And that was a big, big point as well to say that somebody else's design for my life was so much more important than mine, but yet I was literally dying because of it far before I should naturally or by circumstance. And so that was always sort of this underlying current as I was going through life. And the just seeing the disparities between media, uh, reading a lot of Derek Jensen when I was uh, quite a bit younger, um, seeing that there was this beautiful outdoor space that I would go with with my with my friends and my family and and and, and these scouts that I knew. And it, it just seems so simple and so easy when you're out camping with a bunch of guys. And we did some amazing stuff. We had like Ewok camp where you would go and make all your platforms off of the ground. And then for an entire weekend, there was a challenge so that you would stay off the ground. So you actually had to live in the forest. And I just felt so awesome. yeah, this doesn't seem too hard. This seems like as a kid, that's pretty sweet, right? Yeah. Um, and then we added to that and Survivor was big at the time. So we had Survivor Ewok camp where you went and did challenges and – there's a camaraderie and a sense of friends, uh, friendliness and a sense of there, – there was just a sense of, wow, it feels like when you are outside in nature, you're more aligned with yourself than you are with pretty much anything else when you come back into the city. And it was always sort of relegated to this, oh, that's weekend warriorship because that's the big thing in Calgary. The Rocky Mountains are right there, the east slopes of the Rockies. Everybody goes out. Everyone comes back. Everybody speeds along the highway and comes back. And I just thought, well, this seems really bizarre if if – evolution is is true and of course you're in alberta so huge bible belt and so there was always this back and forth but i had been on the science side for a long time because so if evolution is true and we come from this world then 
doesn't it make more sense to be a part of this world? And isn't everything else that's laid onto this a bit of a construct and it's a construct for somebody else's design in some way? Like think of a house. A house is somebody's construct of what in their mind shelter is on the land. It's not necessarily um, biophilic. It doesn't necessarily mold within the land. It's just somebody's idea of home, somebody's idea of sanctuary. And I realized that at a really young age because I was working on all these um, – Originally, my 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 dad did a bunch of different construction work, but we did exteriors, vinyl exteriors. So I would do another cookie cutter development, do another – I don't even remember how much vinyl siding goes on the outside of a house. I just remember box after box after box and taking the skill saw and cutting it and handing it up to him and him putting it up. And I remember a number of summers like that. And I just thought, like, is this the house that people really wanted or is this the one that they had to settle for? And that set the seeds of – is this the life that people really want or is this the one they've settled for and then internalized, oh, geez, this isn't the life I want. This is the life that I've settled for. I've adopted what somebody else said was this is a good life. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's some, some stuff you just said there is pretty powerful um, because I, I kind of remember something similar. I worked like one one summer for a few weeks as like a masonry assistant just building this house and just thinking like, why did people want to move out here? It's like, it was kind of like, I mean, Columbus is like this booming area and everything used to be like just farmland. And then like everybody started just moving out and building more and more houses where it used to be country. And now it's like this country suburb. And I'm like, why don't you just live in the country? Like what's, why are you playing this game with yourself? But I think it's, I think it's interesting of what you said is, like, is, do they really want this house or is this what they're selling for? And I think there's kind of something else too. Sometimes I think people just think that's what they should want. So that's what they tell themselves they want. I mean, which is kind of covered in what you said, but it's, which is kind of like settling for it, but it's still kind of, I think it's just a kind of a different mental, mental issue in a sense. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you're exactly right. And it's, I, I was fascinated by marketing uh, because I went to university for communications and it's all about managing the message. And I was fascinated by it because so many of these examples, I can't believe this was actually taught as something positive are showing how you can change behavior just by the color of something, just by the sound of something, just by the frequency of something, all of these little hints and tricks about how to get somebody to really do what it is you want to do. And this was being taught at, you know, a university level. And I thought, okay, well, if this is the case. And when I take a look around, people aren't exactly, you know, jumping for joy. This means that this is being used for somebody else's gain, somebody else's profit, and somebody's losing out here, right? Yeah. Somebody is not going forward in a good way. And that just compounded on itself every single time I turned around. When I took a look at um, my family and growing up with uh, with my mom and when you're a kid, you pick up on what's going on with your parents and similarly with my dad. And, um, you know, I, I was blessed to have a number of people in my life as parents. And so my aunt really did a, a really large share of raising me and I have lots of gratitude for my mom, my dad, and my aunt. And, uh, similarly, you know, they would, they would continually show me these examples. I'd already kind of cracked the egg a bit and, and, and they would show me these examples of going to work and coming home and being so unhappy and frustrated. And I'd always say, do you love what you do? Like, is it making you happy? And they're like, well, it's making me happy that I'm with you. And so fair enough, sacrificial uh, income earning. We all have to do it at some point in our life in some way. 
and and sometimes continually because we still have to put food on the table and we still have to take care of the responsibilities that we've accepted. Yeah. But on the other hand, this idea of here's a principle, this is what a house is, is just a principle that's been given to us. You know, this is what shelter looks like. Uh, for a year, I played around with alternative housing and and dropped my my housing budget down to a, uh, just under a thousand dollars because I played around with well, what does it mean to actually have a home? What does it mean to actually have a place to live? Um, I'm I'm just I, I guess the core of what uh, I'm curious about is how much of what we're given is actually true. And how much of what we're given is is just a facade, is just somebody else's design for us? And yeah. I think Brad Lancaster put it best when he said, well, there's natural laws and there's man-made laws. And which one do you think bats last or something to that effect? Or maybe I've switched that over the years. But um, that, that, makes, really... that makes a lot of sense though. Like what – yeah, like nature is going to win every time. Like you can't fight it. Like we can pretend that – I think it was something you said there. Uh, I've been reading um, even just about marketing. I've been reading a lot of uh, Scott Adams recently, and he's taking a lot of heat mm -hmm. because he's talking about persuasion a lot and why Donald Trump has been uh, effective. And he's just kind of using Donald Trump as an example, but people go crazy about it. But his book, um, he's got this this good book called uh, How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big, and it's kind of the story of my life. But he talks, he gives in a more detail, like how we're like humans are like this, we're like these moist robots. Like none of us are actually rational. We just try to be rational as much as possible. But it's, it's really just kind of this game we play with ourselves. We have to, we create these constructs just to, just, just so we, it, it's kind of like a, a trick just, just so we can still be happy or, or, do everything, but it's not even necessarily like that depressing because he, he talks about a lot of other stuff about like having systems instead of goals or systems to guide yourself. And I hear you talk about a lot of the same thing. So I just uh, wanted to mention that just because I thought you might want to check out that book. But anyway, sorry about that, Javin. No, that's great. That's great. I love I love Scott Adams' work. And, and yeah. uh, I think anybody who is speaking the truth about, you know, have a system, have a priority, know your why and then base your life off of those pieces. We're all, everyone's saying the same thing. I'm saying the same thing. He's saying the same thing. Uh, anybody who, yeah, Mike Rowe, um, Hunter S. Thompson, the letter he wrote or back to a friend who said, you know, you know, tell me what to do with my life. All of these folks are saying the same thing, which is uh, the same question that we've been struggling with since antiquity. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? And I've, I've spent so much time trying to, to figure that out and understand that. And when I was in, I was young, I was like 12, 11, something like that. My father put me into my first personal development course. And so gratitude to him as well about that. He, and he, and in that, in that process, I learned that everything happens internally inside our minds. You know, we, we create this construct of this is good thing, or this is a bad thing in our minds. Nothing is actually good or bad. Everything is, is, is a neutral process. And we subscribe Judgment. We pass judgment. And so this was a big conversation for me for a number of years. Judgment versus condemnation versus observation. And it led really well into permaculture where when I'm taking a look at a plant and we're seeing this plant and, okay, this is interesting. This plant has this type of leaf structure, has this type of habitat. And all of a sudden somebody comes in with running their head off going, oh my God, this is scotch broom. We got to get it out. We got to get it out. We got to get it out. It's like, well, wait a second. 
well, doesn't it have a function? Doesn't it have a, a purpose for being here? And shouldn't we dive down to the why of this? And that's what I think attracted me so much to uh, permaculture initially was I felt, and, and maybe this isn't actually the case. I think this is probably more me subscribing meaning to this, but that's what we are. We're meaning making monkeys on this hunk of rock hurtling through space. Um, so I, I subscribe some meaning to this process of saying, okay, well, this is fascinating. We're trying to get to the why. This is really the the grand unified theory. This is the theory of everything when it comes to people and how our brains work. And because of that suppression of 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 my attraction when I was quite young, I was always kind of trying to figure people out because I had I had stopped trying to figure myself out. And this all kind of culminated in the the last couple of years with my work in permaculture. And now I. I've got another company called All Points Land Design, and I work primarily with farmers and um, homesteaders and private homeowners and organizations, and I help them to get the mental space right first before we go into the the land design, because I'm sure you've seen this as well in farming or otherwise. It's not the land that fails people, and it's not the water, and it's not the soil, and it's not the microbes. It's not the fungal to bacterial ratio. It's none of that. It's the people. The people usually fail the land because they're not properly aligned with the land. And that's the one thing where I love the the natural aspect of working within these natural systems is that the, the land, the ecology, the environment will give you true feedback. There's oh, no yeah. false positives here. <laughs> it will force you to take a hard look at yourself too. Because you'll be right. like, what the hell just happened? How did I miss this? Or, okay, I yeah. wasn't ready for this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's 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 fascinating. So I'm I'm in a new place. I'm 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 with a, a fantastic partner. We're having a great time. And when I said, okay, this is where I think the garden should go because they had land and I came to it. I moved on to it after we had gone through that initial. Okay, you're not crazy. You seem like a decent enough person to spend some time with. Why don't we move in together? Um, such a funny thing dating, but <laughs> that's another, um, that's another mental game conversation. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's funny. Actually, Grant and I, we chatted about dating on, on his podcast. So it feels like you can kind of go anywhere on these things. That's why I like them. Oh no. Yeah. I've been, uh, Grant and I actually, so that was the funny thing when I had Grant on, I even said on the podcast because like being 30, like I'm 31 and now yeah. I really have this biological urge to have a family. And I really sure. have this like urge that I need a wife. I want a good wife and all this other crazy shit. And it's like, and I'm also, and I think too, like, like I'm really passionate about things. So I feel like every girl that I like or that I think I really start to like, I just quickly fall in love with. And then it's just like <laughs> this like rubber band snaps and I get hit in the face. And I'm like, what the hell did I just do that for? What, you know, and it's like this. It's like, and it's always been that way. But then it's like, what's weird though is, it's like the whole, like just recently this happened and like, uh, but it made me kind of focus on like really see like, okay, this is what you were actually ignoring. But like in the process of like courting this girl and getting excited, I started like, I actually created all these like systems because we would hang out on a certain day. So I always, like I just got in the habit of making sure my house was clean this every this day every week and so it's like okay well this is cool now i have these great habits that i formed so i'll just keep doing these things and then whatever it doesn't really matter so but i don't know it's just funny like i, I that's brilliant <laughs> many ways um so 
I, I move into this new place, move into this beautiful piece of land, very remote location. And I say, okay, great. This is, you know, this is the most optimal place for the garden. It'll look ugly there. Uh, what do you mean? It'll look ugly there. Do you, do you think food is ugly? No. Uh, do you think the configuration we haven't even talked about is ugly? It'll just look ugly there. Oh, okay. And I'm, I'm moving into somebody else's house, somebody else's family. So I'm very conscious that in the social realm of things, which is the most important design element, I have to be careful here. So I, I kind of let it go. And, you know, we're talking about fencing, you know, we're in a very remote valley. We've had, we had a herd of elk come through last winter and decimate the hay for the horses. Uh, deer are, are pretty, pretty common. Um, and finally, uh, uh, yeah, finally he goes, well, why don't we just put it on the bench down here and out of sight, out of mind, right? I, I'm sure a number of people have had a garden that they don't see every day and it doesn't do well. So I say, okay, sounds good. Sounds great. And so I knew I was tra I was traveling and doing a bunch of teaching and some design work and some installation work in the spring. So I had a friend of mine start my seeds for me and uh, I, I picked them up, put them in. And I said, okay, great. We got to do some irrigation. Yeah. You know, I think we can just water it when, when, when we'll be around. Uh, okay. Sounds good. And in my mind, I know that the feedback's coming and I'm not going to fight this because everybody has to learn on their own accord. And similarly, um, my guy, uh, where I was living before we had a cob oven. He loved it. He's like, oh, we got to get one of those. And I know how to build cob ovens. It's, you know, it's not a difficult thing, but I've already been in a relationship now for, you know, a year and a half. And so I say, okay, great. Let's go take a workshop. I'll have somebody else teach you how to do this, not me. Um, and so I've, I've learned, I've, I've had some really good learning moments where it's afterwards the workshop. Um, he goes, okay, well, yeah, that makes, that makes good sense. I'm glad we went and did that. And I'm just thinking, I'm so glad we did that. This has nothing to do with me. Like we have got the same information now, you know how to do the testing. I know how to do the testing of soil. Like, so I've, I've, I've left it for a year just to show that there are some, some things that I may have a bit of knowledge about and, and they're just coming to pass, right? Um, the dogs get into the unfenced garden really well. Uh, I had a black bear come by and eat almost all of my stratified hazelnuts. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of things that I've been discussing and talking about. So that's, that's part of that social design is what's the big why the why is to have an incredible life with an incredible partner. Okay. Then everything else is secondary where the garden goes when we do the outdoor uh, kitchen. If I get a chance to put gray water in when my human, your composting toilet happens, all, all of those things are malleable because that's not the priority. The priority is the, the passion and the connectivity and, and having partnership, right? That's, yeah. that's really the big deal is knowing you've got a partner in this world that, push comes to shove, they're going to wake up after two hours of sleep and they're going to do what needs to be done to get, get the job done. And to me, that's way more important than any sort of squabble about the garden or whatever, you know, this piece is. And so I just, I don't really worry about that. That's not a big deal for me. And people laugh. Uh, friends of mine came up and were like, so what have you done this summer looking around? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it's, it's great because you get a chance to really test your ego and go, here's the story. And you kind of see their faces and go, Oh, I've made that mistake. That's fascinating. How's the relationship going? I'm like, you tell me after your visit and afterwards they're going, Holy shit, man. I think you, I think you made the right move here. <laughs> that's pretty cool, man. That's, that's good to hear. Uh, 
Yeah, I think a lot of that too comes with patience, man. I think a lot of times, I don't know, and I've experienced this as I previously said is, you know, I, I try to, sometimes I get caught up in the whole power versus force thing and like I tend to try to force things instead of just like kind of letting it happen, which is way more powerful. Not necessarily letting it happen, but kind of going with it, just kind of what you said um you know, I heard you talking about Diego letting the opportunity and passion guide you versus just one or the other. Um, and like, it has to be a synergistic thing. So, and I think that's, that's, that's really with everything, whether it be relationships or, or any projects you have or anything like that. Um, so, and I think that's what it, I mean, that's what it sounds like right now. I think it's funny too, that the, uh, it's, it's, um, <laughs> the garden thing and the cob, cob oven thing i think that's funny because it's it's always it's always it doesn't matter what you know but because you're this person's partner they don't want to listen to it because it's like kind of like the weird uh weird thing when you when you're close to somebody or you would you really care about someone is i don't know it's it's a funny funny thing that happens but uh anyways that's great um i was gonna ask you something man but i kind of got carried away there (laughs) (laughs) uh i'll Oh, go ahead. Well, when did you? Okay, so so kind of maybe shifting gears. Unless you have something else to add, I was going to say. So when did you start to really focus on the mastermind? And, and because that's a that's a concept from Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich. And um and I think like what's interesting too is like I heard you're in it, but then there's a you know there's I know most people that I kind of associate with from the permaculture scene are already in a, a mastermind group. I know I'm in a, a mastermind group. I have an accountability partner and, uh, and, and I can't like, I, I can't, uh, say how much that's, it's helped me get the right things done, make the right kind of mistakes, learn from my mistakes. Um, and, and just really be able to t- kind of take my, what I want to do and how I want to live my life to the next level to get on my path and really feel like uh, I'm, I'm moving in the right direction, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So your question is, when did I, when did I get into it? Yeah. Yeah. It's Cause I, I feel like it kind of started with you, but I don't really know. Cause I'm new to this scene. <laughs> so but I, I feel like you're, you're, you're a big voice behind it. And uh, so I, 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 uh, I, I think that's, that's why we wanted to ask. Well, I, 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 I don't think I started anything. I think the, the connectivity of like-minded minds or uh, not like-minded minds to see where synergy is and where comprehension is has existed throughout time. Uh, when we take a look back in antiquity, there's a number of First Nation examples or Indigenous examples the world over that would come together in these these councils to discuss and to connect and also to center in the heart. And there's also, of course, when we take a look at civilization, there's a number of individuals, uh, be it from Alexander the Great to um, Cleopatra to Caesar to uh, a number of people who would would have these collective moments because they realize that one plus one is three when it comes to people. And I realized this back in university. So I would host these things uh, on Saturday and they would be these Saturday morning salons in sort of the enlightenment period where folks would come together and they would discuss an idea. And I would usually do all the cooking and I'd be up late at night and get it all ready. 
And what would happen is I would kind of hand select people, bring them in. We'd have these great conversations and we would, we would go into like two or three, we'd get together at 10 and like five hours later, this breakfast party would be over, but we would all be a bit more educated and have a bit more understanding without at that point drinking a lot and uh, kind of forgetting half the night, which uh, happens so much when you're solving the world's problems around a pint. And that kind of set the stage for me to have these gatherings of really intelligent people and have these conversations. And so that continued when I moved to uh, Kananaskis when I was working with the Park Service and it continued when I was up in Edmonton where we'd have these major potlucks where people would stay for hours and we would talk about all these different things. And I don't know who it was. Maybe it was you know the, the energy of the conversation, but people always felt very able to speak about things that they were frustrated about. And I'm always curious about people's why. It's something I've been fascinated with for years. And when I moved out to the island, I continually talked to people and asked them questions that sort of drove at their why and drove at what they were doing. And not so much, okay, you're a wonderful permaculture person. You're a god, you know, bowing and and we're not worthy of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. It was, okay, well, what are you doing? Are you meeting your goals? Are you surpassing them? What do you want to do with your life? Because I don't know. I, I think that's just something that was imprinted at me. That's part of my DNA. And when I got into permaculture, I reached out to everybody and I got my hand smacked many times because I reached out to everybody. A lot of like, why are you, why are you contacting me? Don't you understand that this is a competition? Um, we don't really want to talk to you. And, um, you know, I'm much too busy to talk to you. And I just thought, okay, well, that's fine. Great. No worries. I'll keep doing my thing and I'll keep to reach out. So my, my foray into permaculture as a business has been really based upon collaboration. And over the last four years, it's been specific and it's been very intentional. And so in this educational process in offering PDCs, it was a team of people who delivered it. I, I would have a team of 12 people at different times during the course that would come in and teach certain sections. Um, folks who had been doing gray water for five years, folks who had been seed saving for over 22 years, folks, you know, all of these individuals, and, and it would be this very rich, very incredible experience. And and I just saw the synergy of that. So when finally one of the people whom I originally reached out to came back and said, you know, I think we need to, uh, the way he said it was, we need to bury the potato, not bury the, the hatchet and see what grows of it. I thought, great, you know, this is a great opportunity to kind of connect a bunch of like minds. And so I went to a couple of folks who I really appreciated and just said, okay, why don't we get together and just see what can come of it? And I've got a lot of training and council work, facilitator, uh, f facilitation work, men's work. And I said, listen, I'll host a night or a session and I'll, I'll host the conversation. But not only will we talk about our respective businesses and what's going on, but we can also have this conversation. And so, you know, that's now coming into its fourth year and we meet just once a year, but the door is open the entire year. And any of us can call each other at any time for any length of conversation and, and you pick up the phone and you know, the other guy's going to pick up and he's going to have gold for you, or you could host something. And that's something that has only happened once between us. But, uh, I love that kind of having the, the bat phone where you can say, okay, I am struggling. I need, I need some conversation here to, to happen. But the other thing that I really loved is that during these conversations, we were able to have some really honest conversation about struggling with addiction, about struggling with what it means to be a new father, about, struggling what it means to be a man in 2016 uh, or at that point, uh, 2012. Um, and that, that made the complete difference in my life for the last four years is knowing that there was this brotherhood of folks who were beside me, who were working for me and working through me. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, what do you think? Um, I mean, it, it kind of goes with uh, with kind of forming your own tribe because I think there's there's kind of some things that you know we don't necessarily have anymore, and I think it's it's interesting because it's like the community went away and now it's reforming itself on the internet. And like, I've met, I mean, I can't even say like how many awesome people I've been able to meet because of the internet and this podcast. And it's interesting to me because it's always you know, like some of, like it's, it's always whenever I, I, I dive into something new, which, you know, most recently has been small scale farming and permaculture where I really feel kind of most at home. Um, it's like, I'll, I'll meet friends. It's like, man, I feel like I've known these guys most of my lives, like my whole life, but I, I just kind of started to get to know them, but it's like, I kind I could already have an idea and know that they'll be on the same page. And I think that's, that's, it's really important. I think for people, to um to find that for themselves i think just just an overall like what you're talking about with being happy and finding that that purpose um uh so i i think that's that's awesome um and i think in a, in a again i was gonna add something like like what do you think i mean i think people need to seek that out i mean don't you think i mean i think people need to to, to find that for themselves. I think, do you think that's like a, do you think that's important for people to, to, to ultimately do what they want to do and, and start to take more action to live the life that they really want to live? Yeah. I think there's a few pieces there. There's a bit of a connecting piece. And then your question, I think the first thing is, is that there's the logical family and the biological family. Biological family was given to us. We didn't get a choice. The logical family are the people who we logically would have chosen to be our family if we had the choice. But there's an incredible amount of strength in working through the problems that that happen with a bunch of people whom you may not have have anything in common with. And that that builds a skill. And this is the same situation as I talked about when um, – oh, this is a totally other career that I'm just going to slide in here. I had a uh, – I had a um, – a, uh, a scholarship to go to Cordon Bleu, which is one of the the most renowned chefing schools in Canada, to go become a pastry chef. Right before I went and took my 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 little natural building course, so it was it's kind of this moment where I, it was something else I was looking at exploring. But in that situation, in the kitchen, you've got two options: you can either build your your nice skills, or you can move to the um, food processor. And similarly, you can build your interpersonal skills, or you can move to the internet really quickly. And I, I, I do not want to demonize the communities on the internet or the people or the tribes or anything like that. I just want to say that there's something about building relationships and building relationships with people that potentially you don't really want to, or don't really get along with. That's really valuable. It's a great skill. It's something that has been well-documented uh, of Benjamin Franklin, uh, that he was able to really reach out and try and find these what faith communities call departure points of of conversation where you can get an oman and a priest and a rabbi and and you can find these departure points to actually have a good conversation about and the one thing i know about life is none of us get out of this alive it's it's a sexually transmitted disease that we all die from and and you know i've i've been in a couple of situations especially in the, the permaculture voices scenario and sometimes in Facebook, but definitely permaculture voices. Cause it's this fascinating place where you get the spectrum of people where friends will say you're hanging out with those people or you're speaking with them. Oh, that's fascinating. Did you see such and such on Facebook? Almost exactly the same words from everyone I talked to. 
And it's just fascinating to me because one, Facebook is a wonderful place to discuss and create, but it's also a great place just to to pick your 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 vision of somebody or your version of somebody. And and I've never really been one to demonize somebody completely unless they've really wronged me and then I have a hard time forgetting. I'm a bit of an elephant like that. But otherwise, it's like, okay, well, what are we all doing? We're all doing the same thing. We're all trying to get together. And I think it's one of the biggest things that us in the left, if we're going to put ourselves in a spectrum, need to focus on because folks in the right, they usually line up all of their opposition and shoot them. But folks in the left, we circle the wagons and then we shoot and we'll, we'll demonize each other instead of raising each other up. We'll show each other how much we're not doing instead of uh, giving accolades where accolades are deserved. And it was something I really felt on the coast because there were so many people who were doing such incredible work. You know, they would constantly say to me, oh, you, you went to a Marvel movie? Really? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and it's the same thing at permaculture convergences. You get people who are like, oh, you don't shit in a bucket? It's like, wow. Like that's, that's real inclusive. Great way to bring everybody together. <laughs> yeah it's interesting too like i think about this a lot like i uh and i think it's probably the same thing like I, something i try not to do is judge myself and uh and i think it's kind of going to tie it back into you know th- having that internal dialogue which we kind of started talking about before is it, when you don't judge yourself it's really easy to not judge other people and i think it's really easy to have conversations with people that disagree with you like i actually really if 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 people are going to be respectful i i really like hearing somebody's thoughts that that thinks something completely different than i do because it's yeah. like you know it's 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 easier okay well maybe i didn't never see it from that perspective like that's that makes a lot of sense but a lot of times people just have such an emotional attachment to their ideas or their views or their beliefs that they don't they they don't they can't start that conversation with 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 an individual that they might see on Facebook and deem them, you know, whatever. So I, I think it's it's um I think that's really important. And I think that's uh that's that's really interesting to 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 think to hear about because it's there's always like the clicks and the factions, but it, you know, you just gotta get out there and, and love people, man. I think that's like it sounds silly and hippie ish, but I think that's kinda it. You gotta just meet everybody with love and then if if they wrong you, then yeah, get them up, get them away from you. But if, if they haven't done anything to wrong you directly, you know, be respectful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's just, we, we, we have so little time and there's so much work to be done in terms of the work that's in front of us. I just don't see the point in demonizing somebody else, demonizing somebody else, demonizing somebody else and finding yourself at the bottom. Like what have you, what have you accomplished? What have you created in that moment? I, I, I just, I don't see it. I don't understand it. And it's not something that really drives me at all. And I, I think like everybody I've, I've dropped into that, um, that moment from time to time, I was severely slandered and, uh, and, and demonized when I was out on the coast about something that didn't happen. Uh, it took a couple of years to come back from, but, uh, you know, I've got two options. I can either hold on to that or I can say, okay, great. Somebody said something in a certain way at a certain time and it's time to move on. And this happened actually very recently, like a couple of days ago, uh, I saw somebody post something and, uh, I, 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 as far as I know, I haven't been uh, that slandered or insulted on Facebook ever. And I looked at that and it's fascinating when you do this sort of internal work all the time. The only thing I thought of was, wow, 
you're spending so much time on somebody else's life and not your own. What that uh, that's really so unfortunate and not in a, Oh, that's sad. It's a, you're choosing to allocate your energy resources by attaching your horse to somebody else's cart. And you're speaking about who they are and what they are and what they aren't and, and, and how they could be better. And, Oh, they like this person. And, and so obviously they can't be a good person. It's that, wow. Like that's at least a couple hours physically and probably at least 10 hours mentally that you've already thought about that. And, you know, when, when we're thinking about somebody else in a non positive way, they're renting space in our brain for free. Yeah, and, absolutely. goes back to the marketing thing. Yeah. And, and that brain, man, that's, that's where everything happens, right? That's, that's where emotions are processed. That's where sensory is processed. That's where everything's processed. And you are allowing somebody else to rent space in your brain rent free. And a good friend of mine, who's, um, who's a, a market gardener was working with a problem. He, he wasn't, he wasn't paid. It was a large sum of money. He wasn't paid. And uh, he was obsessing over it, right? It was everything. It was like, doesn't respect me. doesn't respect my, my life. And you could see it. He had lost his quality of life. He had, had lost his, his course. And this, this other individual who wasn't paying on this restaurant owner was running his life all of a sudden. And you just got to sit there and go, do you realize what's happening? And so we, we had a couple of chats and just happened that uh, this person's girlfriend was there and, and it really helped because it kind of created this, this social pressure of you are letting somebody else control every single one of your thoughts right now and you're letting them run your life and you're doing it for free. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy to think about it that way too when you actually break it down. Um, and, and something I was going to add too is if somebody is slandering you on the internet, it's usually because you're doing something right in a weird way. Like, so you're doing something to like, especially kind of in this scene, not all the time, like not on the news and stuff like that. But I, uh, I always like, you know, if you don't have, you know, you got to embrace the haters as, uh, Ron, Ron Finley says. Yeah, I love that. I think there's, there's two pieces there. One, um, is this, there's this great Aristotle quote and, uh, uh, and if if you're not being criticized, then you're not doing anything, uh, par- paraphrasing largely. And the other one is an Anthony Hopkins quote, which is, what other people think of me is none of my business. Yeah, that's great. And, that's great. And we, wrap, we wrap that in with uh, Byron Katie and her work uh, with something called The Work, which is, there's only three types of business. There's my business, your business, and God's business. And there's only one business I have any control over. So that's my domain and that's where I stay. And the only time I suffer is when I argue with reality. So if I get angry at this guy for saying what he said, I'm basically arguing with the fact that he's, that it actually exists, which it exists. He said it. He put it out there, right? Okay. So I, I have a choice every single day to suffer or be miserable. Every single day. I have a choice to allow chronic pain or frustration to create suffering, or I have the decision to separate the two of those and go, great, my money problems, my life problems, all of these things, they're not going to dictate my state of mind. I'm going to allow myself to dictate my state of mind. If I didn't make the sale this week, if, if, if I, if I wasn't able to make those tomatoes grow, they can either, I can either subscribe the value of my person to those tomatoes. And this is really where it comes down to. You're basically saying that these tomatoes succeed. I'm a success. If they don't succeed, I am a failure. How crazy is that? Yeah. 
how crazy that that's an externality that most of us are subscribing value to. A friend of mine is going through this right now. They've built an exceptional farm, incredible place, and they're, they may not have it in, in a couple of months time. And you're sitting there and you're, and you're watching this sort of mental, um, catastrophe in front of you where their, their mental space is just degrading more and more. And it's, yeah, you subscribe to the wrong thing. And this is where I find holistic context is probably one of the most important tools I found in all of this work is it helps people to subscribe what the value of their life is, and then to make decisions to create that value, not to create that goal. And that's where I feel that goals are some of the most uh, trap inducing mechanisms that we've had the displeasure of finding ourselves in. And when you take a look at the major conversation arcs of society, it's all goal-based. It's all get a job. It's all go to school. It's all get a degree. It's all get that job, get that career, get that house, get this boat, get the testicles on the back of your truck. <laughs> um, but they're all goals versus have a sense of accomplishment in your life, produce meaning, feel like your home is a sanctuary, have friends and family who respect and love you. It's only until the end of our lives that we really jump into that and, and we connect back with that or when we're facing death that those things become important. And if you ever want to read a brilliant book or listen to the audio book, John Izzo, The Five Things You Learn When You Die. And that book uh, guided me in more ways than I can ever imagine. And I don't know if he's alive, but if I get a chance, I'm definitely going to thank him at some point because he, he interviewed all these people who had exceptional lives. And at the end of the, their lives... They all kind of said the same thing. They all said, having the courage to do what I wanted, being able to love and have love be received, um, going out of my way to help serve other people. It, it was always the same conversation. So be it a money, be it a success piece, be it I made a farm, be it I'm actually helping the planet, et cetera, et cetera. Those are kind of secondary in terms of the mindset. Once you get the mindset straight, then everything else flows into it. And that's why... I, f I feel if I could do it again, I would have learned about holistic context first, because for me, with all this self-help work and everything else, holistic context was sort of becoming a mechanic of my own brain and opening it up, opening up the hood and finally figuring out, okay, what is it that you're actually dr striving towards? And then how do we make really good decisions on a day-by-day -day basis that will produce these results that you're looking for? And a friend of mine called me that once. He's like, you're kind of a life mechanic. You kind of open up the hood and you kind of take a look at what's wrong. And you say, well, I'm just seeing this pattern here and you're not, you're not acting in accordance with this pattern. Is that something that's, that that's a problem for you? And this is really where my, my work has come from for the last three months. I'll tell you, this is fascinating. I, I never thought I would have gotten here, but for the last three months, my work has been life design. It's been helping people create holistic context, uh, proofing their businesses, making sure we figure out the number one question, which is how will this fail and getting a sense of what their passions, their gifts and their problems are, which I call zones of brilliance. So, you know, full-time work for three months for a guy who was full-time employed with permaculture and, and regenerative agriculture and land design, not a month before that. It's just folks came out of the woodwork. I worked with a couple of people. Somebody else was talking with somebody else and, and, and somebody else was talking to somebody else and they said, Hey man, I really want to go through this work. I've heard it's worked really well for so-and-so. Would you do this with me? Sure. Okay. You know, sounds good. And now all of a sudden I'm sort of plumbing the depths of shit that you wouldn't want to tell your therapist. And, and, and it's, you know, because of a podcast or because of conversation or, you know, I just, I just got this in the mail today. So 
it's, it's kind of fresh and I'd love to share it. It's like, yeah. I just got this in the mail from somebody I, I finished with. And it's, um, I love having things organized and laid out. All the things that were vague and wildly swirling around in my mind are concretely in front of me. This feels great. I recognize now I'm holding myself back. This is a turning on of light bulbs and opening up of doors. I feel more on track and more aware, like a big blind spot has been removed. The time has passed when I say yes to everything. Just thanks so much. And I'm sitting there like, I make compost? Like, uh, you're welcome? Like, <laughs> but a, a bit of this is applying all this work to myself and going, I've had this skill in me my entire life. I was the guy who family members would turn to, that friends would turn to, that strangers would be like, hey, let me tell you about this. And I would just listen and go, that's fascinating. It sounds like you're not really aligning with what it is you want over here. I just didn't have this tool, this sort of um, uh, tool rack, if you will, where somebody could tell me their dreams and aspirations. I said, oh, this goes here, this goes here. And now every decision you make, you basically check it and see if it's going to bring about that life you want. And so when folks call up and they say, hey, I want the farm, which almost everybody does when they come at me for design, I say, well, that's fascinating. That's probably not what you want because there's so many ways to get nutrient-dense food and, and, and all the rest of the quality of life that come with farming. And you know, as well as anybody else, farming's tough work. Oh, man. And, uh, <laughs> and, and these folks actually want something else. They actually don't want the farm. They want to have food and they're actually better off with a box CSA. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, that's uh, that was that was a lot of stuff there, man. I think, uh, yeah, it's it's been um, it's been interesting. When you say holistic, uh, what were you saying there? What was the term you used? Holistic. I call it holistic life context, but it's Alan Savory's holistic context with a couple of modifications. Got you, and uh, and it, so it's it's pretty much too. So that's all about kind of um, just working. I mean, so I'm guessing when you when you help these people, I'm, I'm guessing you do. It's it's really just kind of like uh, just like what you said, Alan Savory's work. But you know, so it's basically just doing a design course for a human. So you look at okay, they want this, this, and that, but these habits aren't really lining up with their goals, or you know, this isn't lining up with that. Is it? Is it? Is it that sort of thing that you're that you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. So okay. I, when I, when I was in this, uh, self-development work, I wanted to do it for the rest of my life when I was younger, but they basically said, you can make a million dollars, go and do it. And I thought that's actually really bad advice. Like going and making a million dollars is terrible advice because everybody I know who's rich has never been happy with the money. They've been happy with the meaning they've been able to create potentially with the finances, but almost never, you know, one of my business mentors now is the happiest he's ever been because he's carving wood and he could have been doing that 20 years ago. Um, and he's done very well for himself. You know, I think his net worth is three to $4 million. Um, and so when, when we work with this, this work, it's basically six weeks. I break down the entire process that Savory gave us, which I've never seen anybody break down. I just looked at it and said, okay, well we have to do this slowly. So we go through the whole under management. We go through holistic context, which I call holistic life context. Cause I don't want to say that I'm teaching his work. Cause it's different. It's totally I, different. I yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I've got a whole process about how to check your decisions, how to check yourself. But you know, the feedback's fantastic. I had a client, uh, what was it a month ago who said, we just made a decision to purchase a $650,000 house. We did it in five minutes and we are the most satisfied in making a decision that we've ever been. I think 
this will, if we had had this 10 years earlier, we would have saved ourselves at least a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> I was just one of like, that's what it's supposed to do. That's what it's supposed to do. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I'm trying to, I've been reading all these books about habits and everything. And then it's just like really looking it's, it's, and, and I think what's great too, with having a person like yourself walks on through it, it's hard to really see, you know, take that lens to yourself. It's hard to see the things that you're doing that might not, might not actually be helping you. Like you don't, I, it took me a long time to figure out how I was being self-destructive or how, like I, I had this, this, I always had this thing. I felt like until about four years ago where I always felt like I was sabotaging myself. And I think it, and I think uh-huh. when, when you're in the conventional world, it just, it just happens because, you know, like we, you were saying earlier, somebody's always renting space in your head, whether it be your boss, somebody at your work, you don't like some customer you don't like. I mean, there's so many different things. And then it's like just kind of finding that. Um, and I don't want to say the term balance, but just finding, looking at the things about, okay, this is, like whether it be me putting on weight because I was stress eating because I I wasn't properly dealing with my stressors or anything like that I think it's 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 hard for people to to really look give themselves a hard look in the mirror and I think and then once once you can get to that point then it's then it's a lot easier but you need a lot of times you need somebody to help you out with that and then but I'm sure what you're doing is even more so than that because it's taking it to even more the next level so that's that's awesome to hear man um hey that's great i'll i'll pause on my end as well and we'll uh we'll both take a a joint washroom break anyways thank you ladies and gentlemen for that brief break um anyways uh so um Something I wanted to talk to you about, Javin, is with this being my first year in farming and kind of taking a big leap and, you know, having a lot of failures, but successes through failure, um, you know, I th- and, and like, and I just want to say from a personal perspective, like, you know, like my business and Scott and I talk about this quite a bit and uh, I'm usually more on the, the positive end of failing just because like to me this year was kind of an experiment year, like in the sense that I got this plot of land, like I don't have a big plot of land. I I don't know if I'm sure you've seen my pictures, but it's just like, just like 12, 12 rows of 36 inch beds because I didn't actually measure them out correctly when I first started. And I've actually, I've gotten a lot of production. I've gotten some sales. I could have made a lot more sales, but for me this year, like I've really learned that, okay, like I can actually do this. Like I'm, I could actually scale up and, and really get this going and I could plan it out a lot better. And this could really be a viable thing for me to, to walk away from my job and just do full time. And I'd have to downsize a lot in my life and everything like that. But, um, so, you know, something I want to, I, I heard you and Diego kind of discussing this on an episode and something I kind of wanted to dive a little bit deeper in is, you know, if, if, if somebody's trying to start, whether it be a part-time business or anything, what what do you think? Like, let's say they're on the fence about something, or like you said, this person thought they wanted to be a farmer, and then they realized, no, I just I just really want to be a CSA member. What 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 steps do you think people should be taking internally to 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 make this to to take this leap and really start betting on themselves? That's a great question, and it's a question that 
has been at the forefront of my mind for the last four years. So how all this alternative work that I'm doing, the life design work, the holistic context work came about is about four years ago, four or five years ago, I was noticing that all these folks were coming out of a permaculture design course that I was hosting and they weren't doing much with it. They, they had great aspirations, but they weren't jumping on it. And so we kind of follow the arc here. I thought, um, working in parks was a great idea because I would conserve nature. But then I realized that the way that parks works is it conserves it so tightly that it actually has no room for growth or for cyclical nature. Um, and then I went to environmental education and I thought, okay, well, this is the way to do it. And then I went to natural building. I thought, okay, well, shelter is the way to do it. Then I found permaculture and I thought, okay, well, permaculture is the way to do it because it's actually about the underpinnings of culture. But one day I was watching the news and I realized that no amount of permaculture is going to change uh, when somebody gets in their head that this person uh, who has wronged me needs to die, be it a fundamentalist or somebody who just has it in their mind that this is the person who wronged me and they have to, to, they have to get to that place. And when you connect that with the fact that we're, we're given these options, these principles on what to do and how to do it. And like you were saying before, as you're running your farm and you get frustrated and there's a customer or whatever, um, it's all based on beliefs that, you know, these people should be a certain way. And you usually turn to the economy, you usually turn to consumption to, to, soften the blow, right? That's yeah. how it works. This is why divorce is a great statistic for total GDP because divorce creates more GDP growth. Um, it's why sorrow creates more GDP growth. And that's why um, in, in sort of deeper conversation about capitalism, I think that there's, there's a larger conversation to be present. But so I keep going at this, I keep going at this and here I am in permaculture and these folks aren't taking off like permaculture, the a PDC is a great turning point for people. It's like full octane in their tank, but no map, no compass, all the best out the door you go. Well, man, that's, if you ever played with bottle rockets, that's a, that's a bottle rocket without a fin. And that's kind of the trajectory that most people take. Like, Oh, Hey, look, something shiny. I'm going to go over here. And Oh, that's interesting. I'll do that. And, um, people who have, who are interested in this field are much more susceptible to the shininess of, of, the internet, the shininess of social media of, oh, I should be doing this because they haven't grounded themselves out. And so we're trying to apply this new operating system of regenerative agriculture, anarcho-capitalism, environmental capitalism, you know, whatever the new phrase is. Uh, but we're trying to install this new operating system over Western civilization 2.0, but we haven't really changed the operating system of I'm going to direct my life. I'm going to decide what to do, when to do it, how to do it. We, that hasn't changed. And these folks who were coming through the PDC were, were no different. They were still the professional afterwards or the wandering hippie or, you know, all the archetypes that tend to come to a PDC or the midlife crisis folks or the folks that have retired and they're looking for something new. They want it to be better than it was, but nothing's really changed, right? Yeah. Nothing's really changed. And what I found is in that lack of change, you're still susceptible to making the same mistakes. And so I found uh, after my, I think Permaculture Voices 2 talk, this guy comes up to me and he goes, I think you just changed my life. I was, I was kind of slipping into a suicidal depression and I was really bad at being, at making compost, but I've been trying to do compost for four years because if you're a permaculturalist, this is what you have to do. And I just thought, 
that that was what I needed to do. But you've shown me that my gifts and my passions of being a mechanic, that's actually who I am. And I, I love that work and I still come to that work and that's what I need to do. Yeah. And that crystallized at that moment that we need to, we need to level down, not level up. We need to drop a level and go great. Who the fuck am I? Yeah. What am I doing? What have I always done? Who was I when I was eight? Who was I when I was seven, according to my extended family? Because those are the people that usually peg us right when we're young. And anybody who's going into this business, if you haven't asked those questions already, do yourself a favor and ask those questions because those questions will derail you quicker than anything else will. And so that's why I've got these three units I work with. With this life design process, basically, we go through holistic context first. So we figure out the why and we do a lot of deep plumbing with the why. It takes six weeks. And by the end of it, you have a great why. You, we, you don't have a great why. You have your why, which is great because it's yours. Yeah. And you have a way of, of navigating this. So you have the ability to align yourself with decisions about how to do this work. So after that's done, then we start to plumb you. We start to figure out what your passions, your gifts, and the problems you like to solve are. And that's really important. I've seen this time and time again. Um, I can say this because I've, I've got permission to, but uh, my good buddy, Rob Avis, who runs Verge Permaculture, uh, great engineer, incredible uh, mechanical brain. Uh, he was running PDCs, exceptional PDCs. And he started to invite you know group facilitation. He started to kind of work on more of the social side of permaculture. And people were really frustrated by it. They came for this this very technical PDC run by not one, but two engineers. His wife's an engineer as well. And they got really frustrated and he got really frustrated because he wasn't in what I've termed your zones of brilliance. He wasn't in this mechanical um, dissection of understanding, loves thermodynamics. If you ever want to talk thermodynamics with somebody, Rob Avis is your guy. And, uh, and he wasn't in his zone of brilliance. He moved out of his zones of brilliance and now all of a sudden he was in somebody else's zones of brilliance and he was not registering with people because he wasn't, uh, coalescing with who they were. And, and, and I find that time and time again, when people get out of that zone, they really start to falter. I, I've done it myself. And so that was the second piece that I recommend people do, you know, really plumb those depths. Who am I? What am I doing? What are my passions? What are the things that come up? I, I love asking this question. You know, what is your, what is your browser history look like? Have you been, <laughs> have you been plumbing the depths of, um, of rocket stoves? Have you been plumbing the depths of, you know, alternative designs. Are you a social justice warrior? I don't, I don't subscribe value to any of these things. One's not better than the other, but if that's your deal, then great, go do that. Um, and then what are the problems you like to solve? I can't tell you how important this problem, this question is. The problems we like to solve are more important than our passions because it's actually the canvas we paint our life upon. I love solving the problem that if I can get people to create a holistic context, I have put one more nail in the coffin of somebody else being able to control them because the next time something comes up of, Hey, should we take this mortgage or, uh, should we buy a new car? They're going to go back to their context and their context is going to show actually that doesn't create more value in my life. It's one of the most effective ways I found to ensure yourself of outside mind control of being, um, a pawn of Madison Avenue of being a pawn of the media. Because you've got this internal compass now and nobody's spinning around the, the needle to a different magnetic north than you've subscribed to yourself. 
And then after all that work's done and people are probably being like, Jesus, I have to go through all that work. Well, think about it. You'll do all the research in the world for your new splitting axe. You'll spend hours on the computer comparing, talking to people. Same thing with electronics. You know, these people who are so into research, but you won't spend the time on your life. Which yeah, arguably has more value than a splitting axe. I even think about, uh, to kind of add to that, like just at work, right? Like people go great depths to plan their one week vacation or their two weeks vacation for the year, but they don't do the same right. thing just for, how would you like to live every day? Right. And how much, how, how much can you, you, you generate in a lifetime of work? You know, it's anywhere between 350 and the sky's the limit in, in North America. Like you've won the lottery if you live here. You're, you're, you're in this wonderful gated community and, and that'll probably piss some people off, but it's true. It's a pay to play amusement park. Um, we have pretty much everything under the sun if we want to go out and work and we, we don't necessarily have to work the job we love, but there's, there's ways to increase income. There's ways to create income to then branch off and do your own thing. It's like winning the lottery living here. Um, I worked in Kenya. I've worked in Cuba. Kenya especially hit me very hard people live so close to the bone there. Um, I had a chance to do some uh, consulting in India and in uh, Mongolia. You know, it's just so incredible here. And so when I hear people telling me, oh, it's so hard, I, I've i got a lot of compassion for them because it actually tells me that something's going on internally. But it's it's also not the case. That's, that's, that's not the reality of the situation. And again, we only suffer when we argue with reality. And so when we're saying it's so hard and we're suffering – it's usually because it's actually not very hard, um, but it takes time. It takes effort. It takes work. Uh, and that those are things that are requisite. We need to show up to life to have life really work for us. That's, that's a prerequisite, but the rest of it, you know, life's negotiable. Everything in life is negotiable. And this is something that I think most people forget or were never taught. And just as an example, my mom works in a construction company. She's she was one of the first female draftswomen to come out of the Technical Institute in Alberta, in the southern south of Alberta. And recently, she's you know she's managing an entire construction company, and this this young project manager comes into this business meeting. First time he's been there, he's kind of been outside of managerial uh, uh, managerial level, and he's he's being groomed to come up, and he gets frustrated because people don't know the answer to this question of, I don't remember what it was, but some sort of delay in, in timing. He goes, well, shouldn't we know this question? Why don't we know this? And he had never been at the level of conversation where that decision was made. And when you realize that everything is made up, something just made up the law, somebody made up what it should be to live, to farm, to whatever, then you really start to look at life and go, wait a second, I can, this is a choose your own adventure. I can decide what happens here. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that, that makes perfect sense, man. And I think, um, I think that's you hit it right on the head. Like I think uh, I had a conversation with Michael Jordan about that too. Is like you know we live in if you're in North America you live in paradise. Maybe not not necessarily. You might not be happy with with um, weather sometimes and everything else like that. But I mean opportunity. I mean you can do whatever you want to do. You just got to put in the work and and do it. I mean you might not be good at everything you do, but you know you have a lot of opportunity to figure out what you're good and bad at. And then just kind of go from there, man. And like that, what you said though, there at the end, like everything is made up. Like, why don't we know this? Like, man, that's, I feel like that's the story of, of corporate <laughs> America, man. Like I work at a large telecommunications company and we have some of the worst customer service. And I have to 
to have to eat a lot of those complaints. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't think you're saying anything wrong, man. And yeah, we should have an answer for you. And unfortunately, we don't. So really sorry about that. And uh, but but yeah, everything is made up. Everything is just, you know, what people can consider laws, man-made laws. They're just words on a piece of paper. Then some judge waved a wooden gavel and there you go. It's a law. We can go to jail for it or whatever. But it's made up. It's not, it's not real. These constructs are, are either bought in or, you know, instilled in you through years of indoctrination or maybe not indoctrination. That's, that's a little bit more aggressive word, but maybe institutionalized. It's more institutionalized into you. Maybe that's, that's a, a friendlier word to use. And <laughs> same, it's just as bad, but maybe it's, it's friendlier. Uh, less aggressive, but, uh, yeah, I think that's, it's a hundred percent if you want. And it, and you know, it's, it's interesting. Something else you were saying too, uh, about Rob not being in his, his element or his zone. Like, you know, I think about my life. I think about when I kind of, before I started this podcast, man, like I, I was at this point, a podcast was always something I wanted to do, but I just, I'd always say I wanted to do things and I'd never do it. I'd make excuses, but in reality, I just, didn't think I was good enough to do it or didn't. And then I cared too much about the feedback that I would get from it instead of saying, let's do this and see what happens. Or let's do this and figure out this feedback and then go from there. And, um, but while I was out of the, that kind of zone, like I'd been in sales for a while and I kind of wanted to get out of it because I thought sales was the problem. I thought it was, I didn't really like sales, but. And that, and then I kind of realized later on that, no, man, I like sales. I just didn't like that job. I didn't like working for that company. And that's what you didn't like. And you were associating something that you were really good with, with that company instead of associating mm -hmm. like, Oh no, this is a, this is a skill that I've developed. And, and it's fun, man. Like I, I love doing sales. Like I love, you know, that's my favorite part of farming is going to these restaurants, talking to, huh. Talking to the restaurant owners, getting to know them, networking with them, having conversations with them. Like, that's what I, I mean, I really like to network. Like, I like to, to get to know people, have conversations, kind of figure out, you know, their whys, get to know them. Like, that's what's also fascinating, Javin, because I've always been incredibly fascinated with why as well. Like, what makes people tick? What makes people do this? What, why do people like doing that? And then, like, because a lot of times, like, what I've found is, like, even if, you know, if, if for me, if I think that I'm going to enjoy something, I'm going to go find somebody that enjoys it so they can show me the way to do it and like show me what they're doing. Like seek out a mentor, seek out somebody that's doing it. And then you'll get an idea. Like I think, man, I think if, if you really want to get in farming, you watch Curtis Stone's vlogs, you'll get a really good idea of what it takes. And like <laughs> most of his videos are so cool, but it's also just, yeah, there's Curtis and Mark just working their asses off. <laughs> so i think it's um i think that's yeah man i think i, I think uh what you said man that's that's definitely the, the case um but uh yeah i didn't want mean to mean to derail what you were saying there so much but man that's just man i love love listening to you talk brother it's just like i get these ideas <laughs> that just spark and uh so, uh, but yeah, so, so getting back to, to, so, you know, people finding their zones and, and grounding down. So now let's say you're, you're in a profession that you like and you want to kind of make a pr transition. Um, like, 
like okay like the guy that's the mechanic like i mean he, he figured out he wants to be a mechanic like it's kind of like you know in this new way of living or this way of living with a purpose which isn't really a new way it's just the way we should be living just finding out like kind of a how you can contribute to to this this society in a sense or this this spectrum is that kind of what you're saying with with finding your zones in a sense yeah you know i'm i'm going to call you out a bit because we talked earlier and you said uh, you were thinking about creating a, a food aggregator yeah. in your area. And it's, it's one of the areas that I marked six years ago, six and a half years ago, six and a half years ago as the easiest room for growth is the urban ignorance of how to source really great food. And Rob Avis and I just did a podcast on this, that that urban ignorance actually is a wonderful opportunity to find a solution, which is somebody to take that trust circle, say, great, I will figure out good food for you. And so uh, at the end of all these these PDCs that I'm a part of, I do something called the 10-10-100 challenge, which is 10 days after the course, no more than 10 hours, no more than $100, go out and do something with your PDC. I challenge you to be better than you were before you came in. And I challenge you, if you're interested in building a business, to do so. And so FarmBound... Uh, an Okanagan uh, food aggregator was born from two students in that class who took up that challenge. They're just rocking it, man. They can't get enough food for people because the trust circle, just like primal pastures has been created and that authority is there. And I just, I want to call you out a bit, brother. If you have a passion for sales, yeah. by God, there's so many people who don't like yeah. almost Every farmer I talk to says they do not like the sales portion, almost without exception. I, I literally am having a problem, besides Curtis, um, thinking of somebody who does. And if you're in this place where you love the selling and love the, the, the customer creation, I wouldn't wait till next season. I would just start sourcing food now. Make up the food aggregator in the smallest box possible. And so maybe this is jumping ahead. This is sort of, you know, post- the mechanic, but pre getting a pre understanding what you're good at. So we're kind of at the end, tail end, but we're there. So we may as well run with it. If, if you're already stoked about this, then great. Ask yourself the most important question. How can this be easy? Yeah. Not how can you replicate what Farmbound did or somebody else, but how can it be easy for you in terms of who you know and what you know and how you can put it together and the clientele? How do you make it easy and how do you get an initial product offering out immediately? I'm talking like, Get it out in four weeks. I started a microgreens company four or five years ago. I keep forgetting the date, but uh, I came back after a winter. Um, it was kind of year two of really working on the depression. It was getting less, but it was still quite, quite harsh. And the guy was uh, a friend of mine who I was living with. Um, I said, when I landed finally sort of January, he goes, okay, I'm ready to make a, a business on the land. And so I said, great, mushrooms. Or microgreens, because I'd been teaching for a while and I already kind of, I already knew what was going on. He goes, microgreens. So we went over to Vancouver. I paid Chris Thoreau uh, 1500 bucks to teach me and him. Chris was amazing. I, I saw that he was on your podcast. You know how great he is. And uh, we were off and running. We had our first sale eight weeks after we had the idea. And it was only eight weeks because we had lost three weeks because of an, uh, an injury. And we sold out our very first time. And Every single time after that, it just got better and better and better and better. And when something wasn't working, like um, we were losing a bunch of times with sunflower shoots, we just cut sunflower shoots because 
we were at this great place of we were willing to negotiate because we were willing to stop. And so we ended up with a successful business that we were done with. We, we weren't crazy about farming, either of us. And so we sold the business to a student and it's still running to this day. So let's, let's rewind this whole conversation. Um, I knew I wanted to do something that was production-based. I was kind of getting frustrated with clientele because I hadn't, I hadn't cracked the clientele question when it came to design. And I also wasn't in my, my, my perfect zone of brilliance. And so we worked with this other idea. We set the, what, what the easy bar was. How could we easily get into business here? We both knew what the upside was. We did a, a pre-mortem, not a post-mortem. So what's the worst case scenario here? We both put in three grand. Uh, we both put in 1500 and it may not fly at all. Um, but we'll have done something interesting. We'll have a good story and we we're both willing to lose the money. Great. That's how all investments should be done. So we did it. We ran out of it and we both learned something. I learned that farming for that type of production is not within my zones of brilliance. And my friend learned the same thing. And so we both walked forward knowing that that was within what our zones of brilliance are. So it's one is prescriptive. So we can go through and say, great, what am I really great at? And so if we go back to the mechanic conversation, I'm great at doing mechanics. Okay. Well, what didn't you like about your industry? Well, I didn't like, I didn't like how we were treating customers or I didn't like some of the products we were going. Great. There is a niche for somebody who is conscientious and is about customer service in mechanics. Is, is there not like, wouldn't we all want to work with that mechanic? Absolutely. So that, that niche exists. And that's why who you are is so important when it comes to your business. Uh, I work very specifically with my clientele now, and it's, it's one of the reasons why they love me. I have a money back guarantee. When was the last time you saw a money back guarantee in design? Yeah. If you come and work with me with life design, we will get to the end of your objectives or I'll give you your money back. And in two years of offering this, I still haven't had anybody um, ask for their money back, but it creates a different way of me holding the client well. And it's a way that I've always really appreciated because I have 100% feedback with my work. I know if my, my work's working or if it's not, because if it's not working, somebody's asking for their money back. So if it's this guy or you or anybody, you know, if you're sitting there and you got this job, you hate it. Great. You've got the impetus now, but now comes the really hard work, the hard work that you and I've been talking about through enculturation that we're told not to look at because it doesn't make a very good GDP grower to go and start thinking and asking these big questions. You know, if you've stopped becoming uh, somebody who will take the golden handcuffs of a mortgage that has to go to work to pay for this mortgage to be in status, you know, you're, you're kind of outside of the realm of control. And at that point you get to ask yourself the hard questions and that's probably where most of this work lies. And that's why I, I've had work for the last three months full time doing this. I've had this work going on for years, but the reason why it's gotten full time is, um, oh, and that's shocking. I never thought about that, but I've, I, in all my other businesses, it's the three to five year period when business really comes together. And sure enough, that's what's happened. That's fascinating. Um, <laughs> thanks, Drew. No problem, man. <laughs> so I know it's a good conversation if I've had a moment where it's like, oh, yes, I've seen something internally. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, thanks, man. So, so when you've asked yourself these hard questions, who am I? What am I about? What do I love? And then you make these little tests. So I had a client, um, PV1. So I ran an online 
I called it a terrible name. I went against my own advice. Never call so, never call something what it's not. Like I call myself Apex Design. Well, why is it Apex? Because it's the Greek god of something. It's like, come on, man. Just call it what it is. I was working with these guys out of uh, Victoria for a while, and they called themselves Food Forest International. So what did they do? Like, what, what, what do you think they do? You, you'd think they'd sell food, do Food Forest internationally. Right. That's not what they do. So finally, they, they, they took my advice of so many years ago. I, I saw one of the guys at a bow making workshop and he goes, you finally took your advice, Javon. We are now called uh, Edible Landscapes. <laughs> Fantastic. Like everybody knows what they do. They don't have to discuss it. You're, you're working with the cultural capital, or the cultural currency of these people. You know, call it what, what you want. I, I came upon something. I'm totally off topic now, but I'm running with it. Um, came upon something when I was doing uh, edible landscapes and I just called them grocery store landscapes. Everybody got it immediately. Everybody understood. They knew what a grocery store was. They knew what a landscape was. This is a grocery store landscape. Oh, we can eat it. Yes. It was better than edible landscaping. People completely got it because I was speaking to the cultural currency of my target demographic. Um, but if if we go back to the other thread, when when we're doing this hard work and we're asking these hard questions, we're trying to get to the why and the what and the who am I? If we don't ask these questions, no one's going to ask these questions for us. And no one's going to force us to ask these questions. This is the really important piece. And the reason they won't do that is because it's really, really, really important for them, for you to continue to be a really good um, sheep or sheeple uh, to abscond your horse to somebody else's cart. Because the moment you stop doing that, you start thinking for yourself, you create a life that's exceptional. And everybody else kind of goes, oh, well, I want to do that too. And we start to lose people from the main thrust of working in a call center, of um, of blindly trying to meet their needs by finances. You know, when you finally get to the permaculture world and you've been in, uh, in or you've been in conventional society for so long and you realize you can barter for things and, you know, arguably uh, the governments of our countries want you to disclose that so they can tax you for that. But I don't remember the last time that's happened. Um, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of ways to say it, but I can tell you this much: if 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 you're give gifting or bartering uh, in the tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars, the IRS or um, they're, they're coming after you, right? That's, that's, you know, you, you're not a big enough fish maybe, but, and you're not on the list of people they want to target that year, but, um, revenue Canada. That's, that's, that's what I was trying to remember. What is, what is mine called again? Yeah, <laughs> it's um, the same thing. All of this, all of this is about, you know, people call it rewilding and that's fine. You know, it's a great word. It's a great catchphrase. People get onto it, but it's really about becoming your own person in your own context, in your own life. That's what this is about. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's a brilliant way of putting it. It's uh, yeah, it's it's man, I can't think of a better way to say it. I feel it's uh, it's interesting because the more I work on myself, the more it is is just remembering who I actually am. And like right. uh, recently, so I'm I'm Appalachian at heart, and I think that's why I'm such a contrarian, just naturally and everything, especially because I just watched the. I watched this. I rewatched this documentary about. It's called Hillbilly, and it's about basically okay. 
the people that moved into Appalachia and, and fought for their own area, and they were they're like, look, we're not Puritans. We just are tired of dealing with all the BS and in uh, Scotland and then in Northern Ireland, and then it's like the Scotch Irish thing. And before I like, I had Greg Burns on, and Greg Burns is just doing really cool stuff here in uh, in Ohio, and there, we got a really good scene here, and we're really working hard to build this local community here in Ohio. And uh, even in the surrounding areas, like Kurt Henry's out in uh, in the Pittsburgh area, and just just really cool people locally. And um, but you know, I had Greg on, and I was like, you know, and like so, something since I've been doing these podcasts with people from the permaculture world, I go, so what do you? So when did you first get started in permaculture? He's like, man, I, I just call it being a hillbilly. And then I <laughs> then I thought about it, and I was like, man, my grandpa pretty much has been saying this my whole life, and it's just like, man, he's like. <laughs> You're just a hillbilly in denial or a hillbilly removed. You'll figure it out eventually. And man, was he right. And then like, he's been like one of, you know, my, one of my biggest supporters in, in doing this because it's like, you know, I'm, I have a good job, man. And it's like, you know, I, I could seriously pretend like this job's going to be here forever, but it's not like I'm going to basically today's standards in corporate America and the United States, it's probably the same exact way in Canada. If you want to work that corporate life, you're going to have to keep finding opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And you have to move with the opportunity. Like you're not going to be able to work at one place for 30 years and just get a retirement and be able to ride the gravy train for the rest of your life. That world doesn't exist anymore. And uh, my grandpa, like, you know, he, he told me that like it, just growing up, like he, Pretty much raised. He didn't raise me, but he was like my babysitter. And just said, "Buddy, you're not gonna have, you're not gonna be able to do the things that I can do now, like living on retirement and everything." And he always just kind of prepared me and just let me know you need to learn skills. He's like, when I first started on the railroad, everybody had a college degree, and they had to work on the railroad with me. And it was just like, it wasn't even like that. He just said, you know, there was guys with degrees that were making the same money I was making, and now it's like, you know, hit fast forward. It's like now everybody has a degree, and it's just like it's it's so it's so oversaturated and everything else like that. And so the point of what I'm saying is, is that it's like, you know, I, I realized quickly that I had to do something different. I just, it took me a long time to figure out what it is. And now, you know, I really like, I do like the farming. I, I like the sales more than the production, but the production's still fun too, because it's cool. And like, sometimes I'm driven by what's cool. I don't know why Javin, but it's like a, it's like a silly thing, but I'm like, yeah, man, I just want to do cool stuff. And uh, but after talking to you and you calling me out, it's like I should really get started on this aggregator sooner than later. From what the sound of what you're saying to me is, oh yeah, like I'll uh, I do I do a lot of business builds with people just because I've had a bit of experience and I've I, I've got this way now. It's a uh, it's a fifteen thousand dollar business design tool that anybody can have because it was made free, called Business Canvas, and it's exceptional. It takes all the pieces of a business plan, but allows you the flexibility of actually having the bones of the business to understand. Okay, what do I need to do? How do I need to do it? How do I need to operate with my clientele? What am I solving for my clientele? It's brilliant. It's an eight and a half by eleven downloadable PDF sheet that you can find anywhere on the internet. There's a Google doc for it. Great book on it called business model generator. And I, I help people through that process and folks will come to me with some of these ideas and in short order, we can outline the entire business. It's not a hard thing to do. You, know, you could arguably put together 
uh, a small couple of baskets from a couple of folks, offer it to the clientele that has no price sensitivity in your area, which is a great place to start because it means you'll have surplus capital to be of service to the rest of uh, your local uh, community and demographic. And from there, you can just keep branching and branching and branching. So you start with surplus and then you work downwards or outwards or upwards or however else you want to put that. But it, it just doesn't take any effort to do the mental work. That's, or pardon me, it doesn't take any um, risk, your, risk of failure to do the mental work. It takes effort. And that effort it always pays dividends. So we say it in design all the time. For every hour of implementation, there should be at least three hours. I say about 10 in design beforehand. We're creating what Brad Lancaster calls regenerative ruins. We're hoping these things outlast not our generation, but our generation's generation. So they should work really well. And they should work really well in context of whatever the climatic context is, the soil context, the uh, geology context. All of these pieces should work in synergy together to make this long term. Now, just let's just take that same principle and apply it to you. You're a sales guy. You've said it multiple times. You're great on. You're great uh, in conversation. You're very congenial. You know, you, you've got that in your bones. That's in your blood. That's your DNA. That's a gift and a passion, which is incredible if you got two, uh, two out of it. And if you like to solve the problem of, of, of making sure that people get exceptionally good food, and if that's what drives you, if that's the story or the narrative of your work, it's going to propel itself. This is, this is not a problem. Now, the great thing about being a producer as well as an aggregator, it's kind of like knowing how your car works before you take it to the mechanic. You understand the operations of it. You understand what makes for good food, good farm. And you're able to bring that to people in a really simple, easy way. And that allows you and affords you to say in your, your ad copy, your point of view, this is who I am. This is what I do. I'm already a farmer. I know what good food is. The leverage of that when that comes to clientele is incredible. Like you, you have an advantage over anybody else out there in terms of that conversation. So now the question is, what are the weak links that you don't have? What are the things that you need to build? What are the gaps that you need to cross? And do you need to cross them? Or can you just find somebody else who's exceptional at them for the time being, learn them with them or hire them on for those processes and then get yourself into business, not you know next year, not in six months, but get yourself into business within a month. You know, Give yourself the impossible task of Calling up these, and this is where interviewing really comes into play and, and something I'd like to, to at least yeah. order into because it's something that I talk a lot about with clientele. I was working with a, a gentleman who wanted to start doing uh, nature-based, primitive skills-based uh, soul connection work with folks. And he was into permaculture and tiny homes and, and natural building, but uh, he had a very specific type of skill set. And so... I set up a structure for him to go about and interview all of the other folks who did this work and to come back with a couple of questions. One is, if you had to do this again, what would you do differently? Or if you had to do this in half the time, what would you do differently? Or if you had to do this in a month, what would you do? And it really helps the folks who've done this before to focus and structure their answers to come to your place, which is you don't want to be successful at being a food aggregator in a year. You want to be successful at being a food aggregator now. And we can do that because we have the ability to, to email, call somebody up, have an e-introduction. Like I'd be more than happy to introduce you um, to Jay and her partner, uh, her business partner and say, great, there's a great guy. He's really interested in food aggregation. Uh, he's going to talk to you. And you send an email saying, hey, 
Um, I know you guys are busy. I really respect what you do. I've, I've researched you guys a bit. You guys, it looks great. I only want 20 minutes of your time. I'm just going to ask a couple of questions. Call them up. You ask the most pertinent questions. What were the big failures? What were the things you wish you had avoided? If you had to do this again in half the time, what would you do? If you had to do this in a month, what would you do? What's your, your, your best advice to somebody who's doing this? What were your biggest successes? Thanks so much. I don't want to take any more of your time. I see it's 20 minutes. Almost always folks are going to say, oh my, oh, you know, thanks so much for respecting my, for respecting my time here. We can keep talking and you're going to get this incredible data before you even step onto the platform. And you can call all of these aggregators around the country, around both countries, and you can ask them the questions, you can do a pre-mortem and you can ask them the most important question, which is why has your business failed or why has it been close to failing? And that's the question that everyone should ask. ask. This is where when we get into the billionaire and the trillionaires club, this is the question they ask themselves all the time. You know, wh where can this investment fail? And how can I safeguard against that? How can I manage the risk before I start? Man, that's awesome. <laughs> that went, uh, man, that makes so much sense. Uh, holy cow, I'm still kind of blown away from all that, Javin. I'm just like, I was like, <laughs> just listening. I'm like, all right, man, keep going. Keep going. This is great. <laughs> that's why it's recorded, right? <laughs> What's that? That's why it's recorded, right? That's right. That's right. Go back. That's yeah. right. No, that's 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 powerful stuff, man. Um, no, that'd be great if uh, you could do that. And then, uh, yeah, that's a great idea. That I'm glad we had this conversation. That's what that's what makes the podcast great, Javin. It's like the best networking tool ever because it's yeah. like not only can you help other people with it, but then it's like, and this is I. I don't know. That's why I love doing this. This has been like the guide of my life for like the past four years is because I could have great conversations with people smarter than me or more experienced than me and uh, and also help build people that maybe aren't at the same place that I'm at. So it's, uh, yeah, anyways, just, just grateful for this uh, opportunity to, to talk to you, sir. Uh, <laughs> so what Likewise. Yeah, so with that being said, man, we're almost at two hours. I don't know if you want to wrap it up. We, I'd love to have you on again. Um, sure. I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but also I got to do, uh, I don't know, two hours. I usually get a little bit spent, and then I feel like my uh, I'm not Joe Rogan. I can't go four hours. So <laughs> not on that level yet. But, uh, yeah, is there any anything you want to close with in particular um, or anything else you'd like to add to this I might break this up into two episodes because I think it was it was pretty solid. Um, nice. But uh, anything else that you want to add or 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 touch on before we uh, end this end this awesome podcast? Uh, well, I expect to see a food aggregator. I know. I know. Jeez. <laughs> I gotta call. I gotta get in contact with the web guy now, and I just gotta figure out what I need. I've. I think like my biggest holdup has been like I felt like I needed all these email addresses. I felt like that'd be the easiest way to do it is get a bunch of emails and then email it. But I think that's uh, you know I'm just setting up a hurdle before I even need. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. To to quote the the late uh, Robin Williams, "Fuck no, 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 man." So your resistances are already coming up, and so uh, you know concurrently to all the work you're doing. Um, go to your local bookstore, use bookstore, find, uh, Stephen Pressfield's, uh, the war of art, the war of art, and then get, do the work. 
Do the work? All right. I got and, War of Art on my Audible. I'll download Do the Okay, work. great. So you already know what resistance is. So resistance has already shown its ugly head. I need email addresses. No. What you need is food, and you need people to buy that food. That's it. That's your business. There's nothing else to that business. And then once they have great food, great. Now you raise your standard, and you have great food, and only great food passes mustard. Great. And then you get more people because people like food. Then you go to other people who like food and you show them more great food and then you build your business. That's all you need. Um, Owen uh, Hablutzel, the holistic management um, specialist, you know, a friend of mine went up to him and said, hey, man, I'm having a hard time getting a hold of you. You don't have a website. Like you need a website. And he looks, looks at uh, my friend and in true holistic management fashion goes, website's not my weak link. What do you mean? <laughs> well, I'm full-time employed. I'm employed for the next eight months. Like I don't have time to think about anything else. And so, you know, it's very easy. This is why context is so important and going through that holistic context is so important. You know, what do you need to, to create this business? You need great food. You need people who love great food. And I would say you need people who are price insensitive to, to great food because that'll allow you to really uh, charge what great food costs and also charge for the aggregation of that great food. And then you need to start working out things like storage and refrigeration and perishability. And because you're becoming a mini grocery store, that's really what food aggregation is all about. And, and at that point, you need to be a good manager because you're not going to do it by yourself. And so you'll need to build that out because that's what scaling is, right? And you'll, you'll learn this when you interview folks. They'll, they'll tell you what this is. I looked into this years ago. I just didn't want to do it as a business. Um, but it's lucrative. My God, is it lucrative. Uh, and you're doing great work and you can still farm on the side, you know, that's, that's always there. Um, but the, the main conversation will be sales. It'll be making sure that you get great food to great people. And I'll tell you the, the sleeping giant in all of this institution sales of great food, um, institutions want a ton of food and that's why they won't work with local producers. Well, when you get to the scale that you're able to offer an institution and start small, start with something like a nursing home. Once you're able to offer a nursing home exceptional food, go for the ones that are price insensitive. They're going to be able to build um, you into their roster. And now you have an institutionalized sale that you can then go to another institution and say, great. I don't think institutionalized was the word there, but an institution scale. And then you can go to another institution and say, I already work with this institution. These are the numbers. I provide them with exceptional food, local, organic uh, beyond organic, you know, start working with bricks meters, show people what highly nutrient dense food is. You, you can do that really simply. That, that doesn't take any time whatsoever. It just takes dedication that this is what I'm doing now. And you have the linchpin, you have the sales to do it. Now there's going to be limiting beliefs that are going to pop up. And so, you know, make sure you've got somebody in your corner, uh, somebody with my skill set, somebody local, somebody, you know, could be me, could be anybody. I'm, this isn't a pitch. What I'm saying is, yeah. Make sure you have somebody that can can address when those limiting beliefs come up and you can bust through them quickly. Like that's what I find I do most off with folks with holistic context because it doesn't take too much to, to get it together. And we talk for an hour a week. And um, after we go through, okay, did this module work, all the rest of it, we start working on, on limiting beliefs. And I had, a, I had a, a person in their late 50s tell me that they had a limiting belief for the majority of their life. They said basically 50 years. And it no longer held them back. So you need to be able to anticipate that those are going to come up and you need to slay them as soon as they come up. I'm not good enough. I need to be somebody different to do this. I should be charging less for this food. You know, whatever it is. I've had conversations with uh, with ranchers and graziers 
I've had conversations with pretty much everybody under the sun in this realm to help them become better at their, at their work. This is why Curtis unfortunately calls me the Tony Robbins of, of <laughs> this space. And I'm, I kind of hate it because there's something about raw, raw that really doesn't do it for me at all. Um, but, uh, you know, it's part of it. You need to be able to address those pieces so you can really, really address what those limiting beliefs are and those weak links are. So, you know, you said, what was I going to wrap up with? Well, you know, here's the challenge. Here's the plan. Go off and do it. And you already know that that's what you need. And uh, you'll be exceptionally successful with it. I know because you've already got the skills. Thanks, man. I appreciate the uh, man. It's powerful, man. I didn't I didn't know this conversation was going to go this way tonight. So with that being said, <laughs> if people want to contact you and get your services yeah. and sign up, What's the best way for people to do that? Sure. So if, if folks are interested in some of the work we ended up just inadvertently doing tonight, which is around life design, so getting a, a holistic context, understanding your zones of brilliance, uh, working in business design, you can find me at allpointslife.com, which will take you to a page on my main website, which is allpointsdesign.ca. And if you go to allpointslife.com, you'll have all the information about what I do with folks, how it works. We can set up a good fit call, which is an interview process to find out if I'm a good fit for you. And if you're a good fit for me, I don't work with everybody. Um, that's javin at allpointsdesign.ca. Uh, I also think I have the .com. So I think either one works. I'm on Facebook. Um, folks can find me there. And generally just drop me a line. I'm always happy to chat as as this two hour conversation shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Well, hey, it's been... Um... It's been awesome, Jab, and I can't uh, I can't express enough gratitude for um, the awesome content you provided me with, and then just also, yeah, just the just the conversation, man. It was it was very good, and uh, yeah, I feel uh, I feel pretty good, and uh, I hope I hope all you guys listening do as well. So definitely reach out to Javin and, and check out all of his work, and uh, looking forward to uh, now bringing updates about uh, this new business that I'm going to do. Because once it's on the podcast, man, I got to do it. Otherwise, I just look like a chump. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, maybe what happens is we end up... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. It's just like that's that's what I've always had to do on the podcast. It's actually worked out well. It's like a great source of accountability for me. But you were about to say something else. Oh, no. I was was just saying that as as you go forward, it'll be great to hear from you or, or, or see what's going on with this process or... Um, you know, may, maybe who knows, maybe what we do is we, uh, we work together in some form and we throw it on the podcast and, and you really open yourself up to scrutiny. Yeah. That sounds good to me. Uh, I'll, talk to you, <laughs> I'll talk to you off air about it. All right, guys. Thank you so much about for, uh, for listening and, uh, looking forward to bringing another episode soon.